Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And you're on the record. Intensity. That is NBA, NHL playoffs. That's people getting ready for the NFL draft, international soccer, and a whole host of other issues, which is why we start our deal-making 3-1. to one. 3. PSG and EA reportedly in jeopardy with a partnership that's about to expire in 2024. The 100 teams and the logos of colors with more than those 100 teams, the club wasn't featured in the official unveiling of EA Sports FC. PASG could join FC Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Man U, AC Milan, Milano, the other club that has an exclusive deal with rival Konami. Say it isn't so. The bottom line is that EA and PSG and EA and a lot of other sports franchises have had deals for years, but maybe not in the future. Two. Goal app redesign and Opta data to drive time spent on the platform. Prior to the World Cup last year, Goal was the biggest digital soccer media brand, launched its new app with a focus on personalized news and data. Powered by Opta, the new app followed Football Co.'s investment in redesigning Goal's web-based user experience to better represent the modern fans' needs from a digital perspective. Now, the Goal app, fans can personalize their experience by choosing their favorite clubs, players, and competitions to follow, all of which sit in the My Feed area, watch menu, and trending. Bottom line is, it's easier for the soccer fan and non-soccer fan to get interested and hooked. One. Listen to this issue and a special interview after. Hasbro and Panini USA launched the new Monopoly Prism, the NBA edition game and 2022 and 23 NBA trading cards booster box. The game, a special edition of Monopoly, where players will draft the best possible NBA teams using Panini's iconic Prism trading cards, the exclusive trading card partner of the NBA and the Players Association. Instead of buying properties, players try to take control of NBA games and collect bonus points when opponents land on them. Players compare the stats on their Panini cards to earn more points when they compete in Playmaster Challenges and All-Star Contests. They can also use the Panini cards to trade NBA players and draft new ones. And at the end of the game, the player with the most points wins. The box includes 24 Panini Prism NBA cards designed for use by with the Monopoly Prism NBA Edition game. Cards look to the game to expand its draft pool with more NBA stars or simply collect them. Look for randomly inserted Monopoly Prism parallels and ultra-rare Monopoly Money Blank Prism cards. If using the Panini Prism cards in the Monopoly Prism NBA Edition game, players can draft and trade NBA players to build a team and compete against opponents by revealing and comparing NBA player ratings and stats. One of the reasons why this is important is not just the NBA season and a tremendous playoffs, but also Hasbro, 
who's involved with Monopoly, made a commitment a few months ago to get back into the sports space. Very important business story. The fact that corporations that have not been involved recently are involved recently. And more important than any of that is the movement for some of these companies to brand and allow, for example, the NBA and sports to tag on to a very stable and very credible brand, Monopoly. By the way, owned by Hasbro, Matt Ross, the senior VP of global business development at Hasbro, oversees the inbound licensing program. This capacity leaves a team responsible for sourcing, negotiating, and closing agreements that grant Hasbro the rights to apply third-party intellectual properties to its vast portfolio of toys and games, including Transformers and Nerf, you know them, and Monopoly. Closed dozens of deals with third-party IP owners, including studios and television networks, sports leagues, and players associations, video game developers and publishers, inventors, and influencers. And by the way, prior to this role, Matt served as Senior Director of Gaming Licensing, where he developed and managed a global portfolio of licenses in the digital gaming, gambling, promotions, and location-based entertainment categories. And prior to joining Hasbro, he was the Vice President of GameLogic, the interactive gaming and services company that served dozens of clients in the casino and lottery industry. The point is, if there is a connection between games we knew and loved and gaming, it doesn't exist right now, but subtly it will. And Matt Ross will be part of leading the way. Here he is now. You oversee the Hasbro inbound licensing program, the uh, rights to apply third-party intellectual properties to a vast portfolio of toys and games, including the toys we mentioned before. So much larger than that. Talk about the business generally from your perspective. Uh, toy business is uh, large and it's exciting business. Um, you know, Hasbro's been in the game. I believe this 2023 will be celebrating our 100th year in business. So from the larger context, you know, we're out trying to bring joy to uh, kids and, and families in whatever manner we can uh, from board games, just about every board game you can think of, Monopoly, Twister, Operation, to, you know, action figures. We hold a longstanding license to uh, Star Wars, Marvel action figures. We also own, you know, uh, brands that are beloved in the industry, uh, Transformers, uh, G.I. Joe. And of course, we have Nerf, which leads the blasting category. And we also appeal to the younger kids with uh, Play School and Play-Doh. So uh, we love the industry. It's very dynamic. There's always a, you know, healthy competition. Uh, you know, brands are a critical way that we try to get out and appeal to kids and families. Do you have a reissue of uh, the uh, Twister brand that will apply to coordinated people? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't go there. We, we don't have enough time for that. That's okay. Uh, but the important thing from this perspective, obviously we all love toys, but you've also done significant deals with television networks, uh, uh, studios, sports leagues, uh, players associations, video game developers, publishers, inventors, influencers. That, that's from you. So how does that toy world, and you've captured that brand, relate to the whole sports business, for example? Um, well, 
brands are a critical way to appeal to kids and families, right? So you're always going to try to develop your own brands in-house, you know, Transformers, Nerf, Monopoly, but you, you naturally, you need to go to third parties to acquire IP to uh, appeal to kids based on what they're watching today. You know, the big time IPs I mentioned earlier, Star Wars and Marvel are naturals. But then as we look to uh, different directions, you know, what are kids doing today? What, what's going to really get them excited? You know, sports was something that, you know, we hadn't touched in over, uh, you know, 20 years. So we thought, you know, sports are bigger than ever, um, you know, more global than ever, much different than it was 20 years ago. Hey, let's take another crack at, you know, entering this space, which is what we did with starting lineup. All right. So give us an, get, talk that through. What do you do with starting lineup and, and how's it ended up? Sure. So starting lineup was a brand that, you know, Hasbro introduced to the market, I believe in the late 80s. You know, the original concept was a sports action figure in conjunction with a trading card. And uh, the business focused primarily on, you know, baseball, football, basketball, hockey. It was very successful, had its run probably from 87 to 2002. So good. I don't know. Was that 15 years um, so what that means for us is like going back out and rebuilding this business. So it's, you know, restarting relationships with each of the, the three major leagues to start, um, the associated uh, players associations, and, but then a lot about the, uh, environments changed since our, uh, you know, colleagues back in the late eighties were working in the space. So we had to then address the issue where, you know, the, the trading cards rights were held exclusively by other companies, whether it's Panini or Tops, which deal with a much different uh, distribution environment with Fanatics. So we had to really step back, take a deep uh, look, identify the right players, identify the right business plan, and then execute. Uh, really good perspective on how the industry has evolved. Would you say it's harder or easier to close deals now with teams and leagues uh, than it was uh, 10, 15 years ago? Good question. I wasn't here, but if I'm going to guess, I bet you it's a little bit of both. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to weasel out on that question. I would say it's, it's harder because it's just more you have to work with, right? Back in the 80s, I would suspect that to get the NBA license with the players, it's one deal, right? And if you ever yeah. look at a contract from the 80s, they're like, you know, three pages long right. versus 45 today. So just, you know, raw, just complication. And number two is... I would suspect uh, groups are much more um, sophisticated than they were back then. So each of these groups were dealing with, you know, very professional, polished licensing organizations. You know, NBA, Fanatics, NFL, Panini, they all know what they're doing. They all understand deals. So there's some, you know, facilitation from that point. So I think it's probably gotten more complicated, but I think that probably the sophistication has advanced along with that complication. Do you think that because of your re-entry into sports for the first time, sounds like 40 years, that you will continue to do it? Will you be more associated with the sports space now, sponsorships, partnerships, other involvements? Is it a successful thing for you guys? Yeah, it's, it's early. The jury's out. Uh, you know, we just launched at the end of last year. You know, we did a pre-order, so too early to know. Uh, how things are looking, but yeah, we're committed. We're committed to be in the space for multiple years. Uh, we've created great partnerships, great relationships uh, with the leagues and the players associations. I think there's a ton of excitement internally, uh, a lot of support from licensors. Um, it's 
been nothing but positive all around. We do, we've also done, you know, unrelated to starting lineup, we have done, uh, you know, hired athletes as influencers uh, to support different products. I've seen a couple examples of Nerf. I know that, uh, you know, Nerf did this Nerf house um, promotional effort where they got a bunch of athletes, Julian Edelman included, to live in or, you know, act as if they lived in a Nerf house and, you know, have and blast around. There's a bunch of um, uh, videos on YouTube to that effect. But yeah, I mean, athletes are always, um, and sports brands are always, you know, high value, great opportunities. You know, athletes are young. You know, they're definitely closer to the age of kids than they are to me. So you get that, you know, that that fun aspect of uh, of working with them. So yeah, sports are, are are a great avenue for us, not only to find brands but also to, you know to pr promote our other products. Uh, take take me through some internal stuff, and you don't have to you know give away the store. But I assume you don't just wake up one day with the CEO and say, hey, let's get back into sports. There's tons of market analysis yeah. and study and discussion. Uh, and I assume sports was one uh, strategy versus other forms of entertainment and all. Um, how, do you, how do you reach the conclusion to get involved in it uh, after 40 years? Yes, yeah, so we have um, a series of avenues that we will go down as we consider, um, you know, what brands to uh, license. So, you know, we'll just we'll do our own research. So we have uh, fan panels that we can speak to on a retail basis. We have larger um, panels that we can send surveys out to to gauge interest. Uh, we do have a consumer insights group, which leads all of that. That's a critical, uh, important, and growing part of our business. So our new CEO is very focused on data-driven analysis. Uh, you know, prior to entering any business. So we'll do our qualitative research, our quantitative research, looking into NPD um, to find out how other sports-related items are being, um, what their success level is. You know, there's also just the, um, uh, you know, looking into the, into the news and just seeing what's happening in the world of trading cards, uh, seeing what our competitors are up to, um, you know, looking at TV ratings, speaking to the licensors as well. They'll always have, you know, great presentations. They'll be able to answer a lot of questions. So from the qualitative to the quantitative to, to, to the gut, um, you know, we take it all into account. I personally think you should charge for the video rights to have your fan panels uh, discussions revealed to say, <laughs> hey, let's put Julian Edelman in a Nerf house. How about yeah. that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's more to it than that. And everybody understands how sophisticated it is. Talk to me about some of the challenges. And then I want to get into your gambling experience, too. Uh, the biggest challenges relative to the unknown uh, AI, uh, NFTs, crypto, you can take them in bits and pieces, but it's a changing world, isn't it? Yeah, we Hasbro tends to be uh, we tend to be conservative. Um, in respect to you know newer technologies, you know our our objective really is to you know find brands that that delight and excite kids and families. Build up from there. Um, I would say for something like an NFT, as an example, you know that's something we had actually integrated into our starting lineup product initially, um, as it was you know something very very hot. So now that's something that you know we're considering. You know what's the future? Uh, of NFTs in this product, um, it's it's just a, some of these things are volatile, 
right? You know, NFTs can be really popular and then they drop. So, you know, when you're making a major investment, I think you just want to be a little bit careful not to jump in too quick. But it's something we definitely take a close look at, uh, really consider. But um, I think we've got to be smart with regards to whether we, you know, fully engage or not. And when I think of Hasbro as a brand, and now this is an old dude talking about it, it is consistency, it is uh, thought leadership, it's, you know, you've been around, uh, I think I probably played with Play-Doh because that was my intellectual uh, uh, ceiling up until about 15 years old. But I understand how important it is to focus on your line of being conservative, but yet you don't want to be left behind. How do you reconcile both of those? Right. So you got to, uh, you just got to pick your spots, right? So, you know, Hasbro is prepared to invest um, with the right opportunities. So we're aggressive as far as, you know, keeping our ears to the ground, trying to understand what's out there and what's happening. Um, you know, we'll try out, uh, we'll try licenses, we'll try things, but, um, you know, maybe if there's risk, we'll maybe take a smaller step to start. You know, let's walk before we run in certain respects. So uh, we're not totally averse to ever trying anything new. But um, we'll also, you know, be smart before we, um, you know, jump fully in. We'll dip our toe in the water, give something a shot before jumping in. And right, keeping your, keep watching the competition really closely to see what's, uh, what's exciting kids these days so that we can take our own, uh, you know, take that under consideration as we consider our future efforts. One more traditional licensing issue, and then we will trans uh, 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 move over to, to, to the gaming perspective for a minute. Global enforcement, you are an international company. Uh, things evolve. Uh, global is easier today because a device can tie into every country in the world. It's harder today because that adds a number of roadblocks and or challenges. Where do you come out on whether it's easier or harder to do business internationally today? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think it's easier because the, you know the world is much more globalized. Um, you know, we can we can talk to teams in China that are very sophisticated licensors. You know, that know the business. We can speak to people in Japan or you know Australia, Europe, and so forth. Like, I find that the ability to uh, do agreements across you know cultures and countries is pretty straightforward. I don't find that too complicated. As far as like product sales, you know, sometimes the challenge with licensing is that, you know, the value of a particular brand um, might differ widely from one region to the next. So finding truly global brands is rare. You know, certain brands will just have much greater strength than, you know, let's say in the U.S. than it might in, you know, uh, Italy, just as an example. So, you know, licensors always want their uh, brands to be fully recognized and to grow. You know, at the end of the day, though, you know, the facts are the facts. And, you know, if, if, if the brands are resonating with a particular audience, a particular country, you know, it's uh, we all want to work together and make that happen. But uh, so you just have those mismatches you have to deal with sometimes. So, you know, why are we talking to Matt Ross about digital gaming, gambling promotions? Because he was a senior director of gaming licensing uh, for a while. But before that, he was a VP for GameLogic, an interactive <laughs> gaming and services company that served dozens of clients in the casino and lottery industries. It was the Wild West after the Supreme Court decision 
and you're sitting there and you're trying to take a traditional world, yeah. licensing consumer, and apply it to this evolutionary Wild West experience. First of all, how'd you do it? And what were some of the guiding principles? Yes. Uh, great question. In fact, we, game logic happened before any of the you know, changes in the course. What we were trying to do then was work with traditional gaming entities, you know, casinos, land-based casinos, and lotteries, and start to build out even just a minimal um, digital structure for them. In other words, you know, work with a lottery to build a VIP club. Hey guys, we understand you can't sell online lottery tickets today, but what you can do is build a database, cultivate a relationship, give players other games they can play. Hey, lottery players, you know, why sell a lottery ticket to someone and then have them run off to the casino and play XYZ or have them, you know, uh, entertain themselves some other way? You have their a relationship with them, provide them some gaming experience online build that relationship uh, and maybe when products come on the future, you, they're built in and you can sort of bolt on different, you know, uh, gaming experiences for them. So it was, it was early. So it was, it was, we're taking a loyalty angle to start. And we were, we were also finding ways to allow people to play games online and win things that weren't a result of a chance outcome. So not to get too technical, but, you know, imagine, you know, Rick, you played a game on my uh, lottery website and, you know, you won, uh, you know, a t-shirt, you won it because it was a marketing expense. I, I wanted you to get that t-shirt. I wanted to engage you and reward you. You didn't win it because you gambled something, so to speak. You won it because I'm trying to, uh, you know, make you a greater um, adherent to our, you know, our brand and what we want to offer to you. So the early so days. Well, the early days. So kind of the final question in this area, yeah. because it evolves, uh, where do you think the whole gaming industry is going relative to licensing? And, uh, you know, how do you get out ahead of the Wild West? Gaming in terms of board games or, or iGaming? iGaming. iGaming. Yeah. Um, so I, when I think of iGaming, I think of sort of digital gambling. Right. So I think... Uh, for us at Hasbro, um, it's been a part of our portfolio for a long time, but mostly focused on Europe and UK being the biggest. So it's been a, it's been a, um, an evolving business, and now that things have sort of opened up in the US, I think you'll see a lot more brands jumping in. It'll be easier to make the relationships to be a lot more hunger for it. I think I think what you're seeing right now is you know sports betting is getting all the attention and it will be a big business and it's going to be nuts and everyone DraftKings everyone's advertising like crazy but when the dust settles when you look at gambling more traditionally it's the slot business it's you know it's the day-to-day -day gamblers are going to show up put money in the machines that's what's going to what's going to grow over time and much like lottery tickets, slot machines are sort of a, a generic play pattern where brands really work. You can't throw a brand on a sports bet. I mean, they already have their brands. They have NFL, NBA, so forth. So they don't need a monopoly, you know, layered on there necessarily. Uh, where brands really work in gaming is, you know, in slots in particular. And that's where you'll start to see more pickup, I think, as the U.S. business explodes. Tell me what the uh gambling uh the i the gambling industry looked like before and after the supreme court ruling and how it affected you uh well when i was at game logic that was prior to the any changes in the law so as you know gambling is uh a state 
issue only. There literally is no federal law that says what you can and can't. This is the Wire Act, which people were sort of responding to, which would prevent you from sending any gambling data, you know, from one state to another. So everything was re uh, uh, restricted to within state. That being said, even states didn't have any iGaming uh, legislation at that point. So what Game Logic did was go in and uh, work with casinos and lotteries and offer them um, iGaming experiences to the extent that you could within each state. So uh, working with uh, brand owners, casino owners to uh, cultivate databases of players. So we felt that even though players couldn't gamble online, they could certainly, um, casinos and lotteries can certainly create digital relationships with them. So effectively building out uh, digital databases, VIP clubs, so that they could reward players, reward their clientele for their loyalty. Uh, they could create a pipeline of communication. They would have a means by which to communicate them with them when something new did show up. They could also provide online games to play, games for no prizes. So, you know, we were trying to be out there at the very beginning to just create that very initial digital relationship, knowing that something would be coming down the pike, you know, sooner rather than later. You know, after the after the legislation, um, after the Supreme Court made a ruling on the Wire Act, you know, things just started to open up a little bit. There's still a lot of hesitation and conservative for conservatism because no casino that wants to get a license, no individual that wants to truly get an honest license wants to uh, have to put on their application that they broke the law even when there was no law. So th there's a notion of uh, gray market where uh, the law isn't clear, maybe there's no law. And you can be aggressive or you can be conservative saying, hey, if there's no law, I'm not doing anything. Or you can take the approach of, hey, there's no law, I'm doing everything. But how will the regulators look upon you later when you're applying for a real license? I think you want to be reflected on you know, positively. Well, Matt Ross gives us some perspective that we usually don't have on this show, but who would have thought Monopoly would be dominating our podcast? But when you listen to where we are in the future, it makes perfect sense. Let's go into our sports gambling minute. And it's another different perspective, not your normal companies generating revenue or not, or the states, but Jamison Williams. He's among four Detroit Lions suspended for sports betting, and two were cut. Stanley Berryhill and uh, Quintez Cephas, along with C.J. Moore, suspended indefinitely. Washington's Shaka Tony also suspended indefinitely by the league on uh, last week. It remains unclear whether Cephas and Moore were betting on Lions games, but they were released from the team and won't be able to apply for reinstatement to the league until next year. Williams, Berryhill, Cephas, and Moore are the first Lions players to be suspended for the league's betting policy since, you all may remember this, Alex Karras got a one-year ban for placing wagers on NFL games in 1963. The suspensions are the result of NFL investigations that have been underway for at least a month and the Lions are believed to have cooperated fully with the probe. The investigation comes at a time when the league has rushed to embrace legalized betting, including officially partnering with FoxBet, BetMGM, PointsBet, and WinBet in recent years. BetMGM became the official betting partner of the Lions in 2020, a relationship that features in-stadium promotions and even a branded luxury club right outside the locker room at Ford Field. Glass wall attempts allows club glowers to watch players pass from the locker room to the field. Obviously, 
a tasteful and integrity-based gaming exercise important to the league and obviously important to the Lions as well. Now what about tech? Cisco partners with FIFA to build network infrastructure for the Women's World Cup. The partnership will be in place for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and the company constructs the underlying network infrastructure for the tournament connecting key applications and IT systems required for operations, administrations, and media. Bottom line is, as part of the sponsorship, Cisco offers local female students a chance to gain real-world experience by helping with the installation and servicing of the networking equipment before and after the tournament through its networking academy. Brilliant connection, brilliant relationship. And finally, let's go into the good sports five that we always do with philanthropy dominating center stage. Well, philanthropy plus a good story. Wrexham secures a promotion in front of jubilant owners Ryan Reynolds and Bob McElhaney. And the bottom line is you can take a team, you can put a Hollywood script on it, and all good things will happen. Speaking of team and Hollywood script, A.J. McCarron, the ex-college football star, sets the XFL record during an incredible performance. 28 of 35, passing 420 passing yards, six touchdown passes, upper echelon of XFL history, Buffalo Bills, Raiders, Texans, Falcons, but now XFL and look at the numbers. Meta has just generated and allowed access to under 18s for their Horizon Worlds virtual reality. See what happens to that. Another feel-good story. The Pirates uh, brought up Drew Maggie to the majors. Maggie will know how he pronounces his name. He's been in the minor leagues for over a decade. And good news, depending on your perspective, Vegas signs their real estate deal with the A's. Probably going to happen there. Oakland says they give up their 4 sports in the Bay Area. Well, that's it for the show. And frankly, great interview and great perspective. Hasbro, Monopoly, uh, Matt Ross talks about the plans and future and corporate sponsorship and the relationship potentially to gaming long term. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping put the show together. We'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. Rick Harrell, sports professor, $1.3 trillion business of sports. Speak with you soon.